Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to a very special festive edition of White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests sweet, thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is, quite simply, a voice that will forever be synonymous with Christmas, some 40-odd years almost since the release of his single, Walking in the Air. One of the world's most successful boy sopranos, he made his professional debut at 12 and became a star of the world over. By the time he was 16, he'd recorded 16 albums and had sung for the Pope, the Queen and the Princess of Wales in a private recital, all the while still attending his local comp in Bangor, a Welsh-speaking community in Wales. For over 20 years now, he's been at the helm of the BBC's Songs of Praise, as well as hosting his own Sunday morning show for Classic FM. And now, he's turned his hand to children's fiction. He's written a book at the release of this Christmas of Bobby Dean Saves Christmas, a story of an ordinary kid with an extraordinary voice who discovers that when he sings, magical things can happen. Sound familiar? His own children, with his wife of 20 years, Claire, are now all grown up. In fact, his daughter, Amelia, is an actress who's appeared in Doctor Who, Utopia, and Netflix's Lock and Key. As well as his work as a presenter, he continues to sing and perform, most recently with Gary Barlow on his Christmas album. And he's also duetted with Dame Judi Dench, who quite simply describes him as quote, a really special and good man. If you're lucky enough to know him, you'll know she's absolutely right. It's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome, Ali Jones. Here I am. It's a familiar <laughs> tale, Ali <laughs> Jones, as I live and breathe. It's so nice to see you. I wish I could come over and give you a cuddle. Well, I, I'm, so do I. I mean, We've been, known each other quite a few years. We really have, haven't we? I mean, I'm trying to think back now. It's got to be 25 years. Oh, at least, yeah. And we still look fresh-faced and uh, energetic. And we still look like we should be on radio and podcasts. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like I sort of um, 
keep in touch with you via limo bikes right so limo bikes in london just so people understand what it is it's like a courier service for human beings it is it's mad really and it's really nasty between the months of september and february when you're on the back of the bike thinking so why am i doing this but it's brilliant because this is the way that we get around town in order to be able to get i mean predominantly back to young children is, is yeah, what it was absolutely. now i mean now you've just not we so just, young but yours, I mean, hello, hello, Hollywood. You might have seen Alid's eldest. I mean, your daughter is absolutely nailing it. She's 19 and having a, a, a wonderful time. Yeah, she's been in Lock and Key for Netflix for about three years. And uh, then the before that, Doctor Who? Yeah, she, she did her first Utopia. job when she was, um, I think, about nine. She was in uh, One Day with Anne, uh, Anne Hathaway. And then she had one line in Pirates of the Caribbean. Did she? <laughs> when she was tiny, tiny, tiny. But now, yeah, she's, you know, she's such a hard worker. Um, and she's, you know, she really loves what she'd, she's been doing. So she's been going from film to film to film. She's up for Best Actress and stuff like that. So it's mad. I mean, if anyone was ever going to be able to guide... Um a young person through life in the spotlight. It's you, right? She, and when does a daughter ever listen to their dads? <laughs> <laughs> when? No is, chance. Is you know. that never happened? No, never. She's she's wiser than I am, and she's got fantastic people looking after her. You know, and if she comes to me, then I'll help her with something. But I'm just a dad, and I've always been that. You know, they don't care what I do. Um, you know, they don't care that I sing and present and stuff like that. For, for them, I'm just dad, and it's the same. And that's important, I think, you know. And as you said, with the bikes and stuff like that, the, the reason I started using the bikes was so I could get home earlier as well, you know what I mean? Otherwise, you're just away all the time. Well, you're just never there for the moments that really matter, the bath yeah. time, the bedtime, the storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Which you've now, I mean, now it seems like such an odd thing to do when your kids are grown up to suddenly start writing. And it's, it's not children's fiction as in like, you know, six pages, uh, six words per page with an illustration. This is, I mean... 18,000 words. 18,000 words. <laughs> yeah. But I can tell you exactly why it happened, though. Because um, I have my diary in my phone. And when the dreaded COVID came along, it was like a scene from Harry Potter. 105 gigs went, just deleted from my phone, just like that. And I was like going... No, <laughs> you know, watching them slowly dissolve. And so I thought I'd, I'd released a book with Hodda, a book of blessings last year, where I just compiled blessings. But I also wrote sort of chapter headers about what the months meant to me. And but I'd said to them, I've got this idea for this boy that when he sings, because he's when he's nervous or really scared, he sings and he goes on these bonkers adventures all over the world, all over the galaxy, back in time, forward in time. And they were like, well, OK, um, we can put you together with an editor who might help you. And they did, a guy called Dave Gatwood, who's a writer, and he's crazy. So I wrote him the basic plan, and he went, great plan. And then I wrote him the first chapter, and he was like, this is rubbish. Uh, you're not writing dialogue and all this sort of business. And he said, I'm not writing a word for you, but I'll teach you how to do it. And so over six months, um, he taught me how to do it. And I went to see the family in Canada, because Amelia's been filming there. And got so your wife has gone with her wife and, and taken son, Lucas. And taken Lucas, So my you were son. literally in lockdown, home alone, yeah. like Kevin. Yeah, it was brilliant for two months where I just watched wall-to-wall -wall sport in my pants, <laughs> uh, drinking wine and beer and getting really fat. And then I thought... <laughs> you, you were just did. Joey from Friends, I really you? was, yeah. <laughs> and then I thought, no, come on. You, you know, this has got to stop. Man. Yeah, got to stop. Uh, went to the gym one day and I thought, nah, forget it. Um, <laughs> and so I found myself in Canada and I'd got this Airbnb, which uh, on 
online looked like it was airy and bright and everything. And I got there and it was a basement with no windows. And I had to be there for two weeks. So I thought, right, I'm going to write. And I wrote solidly for two weeks. The book took longer than two weeks, but that's where I did a, a chunk of it. It's like, you know what, I think when you write as well, especially when you're on deadline, it's an unappreciative process in as much as you can churn out, say, 5,000 words a day. And that's a big word count, yeah, I think. it really is. And then you get up the next day and you've got to do exactly the same yeah. again. Yeah. There's no reward for yesterday. No. Nope. And there's only the promise of tomorrow, but the today and, and the here and the now of today is five thousand words. Get on with it. Yeah, and but also then when you read back what you did yesterday, and it's maybe not great. Oh, you think, oh, you really you know, have seven and a half yeah. thousand. I've got to recover today. Yeah, but but yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed the process. And you know, it's really funny that you mention all the albums and stuff. And by now, I'm up to. 40 albums that I've done in my life. I mean, this is ridiculous. You have done 40 albums. The most recent one was, uh, well, and, and not of yours, the most recent you appeared on was with Gary Barlow. I know, yeah. Uh, that was just so bizarre. It was. This, I'm going to name drop quite a bit now, okay? Please do. Uh, Jason Donovan's wife texted Ange. me, Ange, because I know Ange from way before Jason, because Ange was a stagehand in Blackpool when I did Joseph in no. Blackpool. And we used to play for the same five-a-side team, because Ange is a brilliant footballer. And, <laughs> yeah, she's amazing, right? And this is so bizarre. And I, th I think everyone knows that she's a good footballer. I'm not sort of, you know, outing her now as this, but she's an amazing footballer. And so... Years went by, I didn't see each other. And then Jason and I got to know each other really well. And then Ange and I were like, wow, this is amazing. You know, Was it the Joseph connection? It was the Joseph connection. But then so Ange texts me saying, do you mind if I give your number to Gary Barlow? I'm like, this is the bizarrest Sunday night I've had in quite a while. Because <laughs> um, I'm not showbiz, as you know. And so I was like, yeah, fine. And the next thing is, hi, it's Gary. Do you fancy doing a song on my album? And I'm like, I took a millisecond to think about it before going, I'd love to. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yeah, but Gary and I have known each other even longer because when I was a kid, I used to judge a competition called Carol for Christmas, which was held in Pebble Mill in uh, Birmingham, which is no longer there. And Gary was a schoolboy that entered the competition with his school. And to my dying shame, I gave him second place. <gasps> It's, uh, which he's never forgotten, of course. Well, he did mention it on the podcast when he was on recently. I'm not going to be honest. <laughs> the, the winner was a Welsh girl. Because <laughs> Philip Schofield was the host. Yes, he was. Yeah. His second job on TV. He was reminiscing about this. It, yeah. was, it was so bizarre. It was Philip's second job on TV. And he was desperate to get one. Of, you know the earpieces that people wear for TV? Yeah. They did, now they've all got this curly wire. Yeah. Well, there was a man in the BBC that worked on Saturday morning television that made the curly wires and Philip was desperate to get one. So I got him his first curly earpiece at really? the age of 12 and a half. Yeah, he doesn't remember. <laughs> wow, I mean, that's a long way back, isn't it? It's quite scary. I am 50 and sometimes I forget. But you've been working since you were 12. Mm -hmm. What you do is you collect goodwill everywhere you go. Oh, well, hopefully. And so many people speak so highly of oh, you, Alid, including um, a woman that you managed to sort of badger into duetting with you, Dame Judi Dench, oh. who I thought just summed you up. And it's, I hope you don't take this as anything other than the compliment it's intended. She just said, he is a really special and good man. Oh, well, do, do you know what? Judi Dench is probably the most beautiful person in the world. Um, the greatest actress ever, but also she's got this glint in her eye where she's always looking for mischief, you know? Trinkle, and, trinkle, yeah, yes. and, and I love that about her. Having her on my album was just amazing, you know? Um, but she's a hoot as well, isn't oh, she? She's, she's up for anything. Fun. Yeah.
you've been part of this forever and a day and quite how you haven't ended up with an addiction a mental health battle that has plagued you yeah. for years i mean alex you really have managed to take the very best of it i think and walk away from the very worst of it well just don't take yourself too seriously i think is is the best thing and, and i love what i do I, I come on you know that i moan occasionally when i'm tired or about things you know in work but generally you know it's it's a case of just try and do the best of everything, isn't it? And yeah. and I've been lucky, goodness me, you know. There was no guarantee that I'd sing again when my voice broke. So, know. you know, it was in the... I, well, do you know what? I would sing again, whether I'd sing in the bath or the Albert Hall. But whether you would be professional Yeah, exactly. Uh, by then, I'd had, like, a, a few occasions of, uh, you know, presenting and stuff, and I quite liked it, and I wanted to get into that maybe as well. You had some wonderful people holding your hand along the way. I mean, yeah. Terry Wogan, really. Oh. Without Terry, I don't know that you would have gone into broadcasting no. with quite the same... No. Uh, appetite no and I and you know I spoke about Terry uh, recently and I found myself in tears it was like he called me his radio son and I was he was my radio dad and there's nothing in the world better in broadcasting in radio anyway than either handing to Terry Wogan or Terry Wogan handing, handing to, to you. you it's just like you know it's a thrill isn't it yeah when he's handing to you it's kind of scary because you have control of the the studio so you feel like I can't really cut off Terry Wogan, and yeah. so well, I just let him. Yeah, I just let him, you know, slag me off like mad or whatever, and then I'd play the jingle and I slag him off because he couldn't speak back then. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, them. yeah, he was amazing. I went on his show on TV more times than any other guest. You were like um, almost a co-host at one point. Oh no, that but was But you were awful. always there in the, these yeah, really was... lovely jumpers. Oh that... no, and do you know what? The one where I interviewed him, because I said, it was some producer had said, oh, Alad wants your job, you know, and Terry then of course loved that. So he said, come on and interview me. So I sat in his chair, so nervous. And every question I asked, and I'd genuinely, you know, thought about questions. He just gave the answer, Prince Philip. And I said, so how did you get into broadcasting, Prince Philip? <laughs> and, I went, and I was like, you rotter, Terry. Well, I didn't say rotter. It's been worse yeah, than that, I even did. at the age of 13. Uh, and I was there in this like sparkly jacket with a leather tie with a piano <laughs> on it. And you think, mum, what were you thinking? But, you know, in Bangor, where I was brought up, we had Burton's. And that was it. So that's where I went for my clothes. Yeah, there's a, there's a brilliant documentary that went out on the BBC last year uh, celebrating your 50th yeah. year. And there's a clip where your mum's asking you what you want to wear. I think it's on top of the pops, yeah. right? And you're stood there with, with dry ice and you're singing Walking in the Air. And clearly, like, lots of other big pop acts are on and she's trying to make you wear a smart shirt. Yeah. And you say it in the nicest possible way. You say, oh, do you mind if I don't? Yeah, I know. I was mortified. And so, she so much so. She gets you a nice sweater. And I think she was upset as well. So two girls from EMI went out to Topshop and got me a jumper. And I was like, phew, I might not get beaten up in comprehensive school next week. Because, well, actually, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping ahead because this is some of the territory that I really want to get into with you. So normally with this podcast, it's quite early in the morning that we're recording. So we are, we're on the coffees today. But normally we'd have three questions that yep. I hope are thought provoking and we'd we'd kind of chew the fat on them over three glasses of wine uh, so we're not going to do that today but let's pretend it's holy wine and um, <laughs> okay <laughs> get a kick from the caffeine um and with this being the season of goodwill i want to kind of unpack an act of great kindness but yours you're gonna have to bear with me now okay yours is quite tremendous is like it? you know yeah so one person's act of kindness is, and this is an illustration of how far-reaching and impactful it can go and be. So you became a recording artist as a child after a lady in your congregation Aww. 
wrote to a record label imploring them to record you for posterity. She wrote, I love this. There's a boy who sings in the Bangor choir who has a truly remarkable voice that reaches to the heart. I know, amazing. I feel it would be a tragedy if his voice were to break and there would be no record of it. Havina Orwig Evans, the lady was called. And she always got the first copy of every album I made until she sadly passed away. Um, but yeah, she was amazing. Because when I was at Bangor Cathedral, which is just a small cathedral, it wasn't residential or posh or anything like so, that. So yeah, Bangor is a small Welsh-making community. Yeah, yeah, and the cathedral I thought was massive, but it was just a glorified church. But on a Tuesday or a Thursday when we do the evening services, she was sometimes the only person in there. Oh. And she wrote to this local recording company, a Welsh one, without me knowing, without my mum and dad knowing. And then all of a sudden, we got a letter saying, do you want to share an album with a boy soprano in South Wales? And we call it the Voices of Wales or whatever. You're in the north, he's in the south. And then the following week they said, listen, that boy's voice is broken. Will you do the whole album? And so I said, during the record, I feel so sorry for this kid, right? So talk about a crossroads in life. He's like he's like the seventh member of the Spice Girls. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, because maybe. Yeah. what happens is, you know, you, you go in and you, you start recording this album, both of you, right? So you're going to divvy it up. And his voice breaks during the recording. So it's yeah, like suddenly, yeah. Alid, it's all yours. Yeah. right? And you get this album... And, and the, so there's this like domino effect from the lady writing the letter to to the record company coming through with that. And then this boy having to kind of, you know, bail on it. Yeah. Um, you end up doing the album on your own. The album is then entirely by chance bought at, at an airport, am I right? No, in, in a hall in Cardiff, in St. David's Hall in Cardiff, which is the main hall of Wales. They don't have a record shop or anything like that. There was a lady for some reason selling my album in the foyer. And a BBC producer from London went to this concert, because I don't know what concert it was, bought the album and thought, oh, I've got three programmes coming from Israel for peak time on BBC One uh, for Christmas and Easter. I know, I'll ask that kid if he wants to be the soloist. So off I went to Israel to mime to all this music. And I'll never forget, there was a, a producer high up you in the BBC. You were in a cave in Israel it was singing like, Oh Holy oh, Night. Oh Holy Night, when everyone else in the <laughs> choir were in the pool in the hotel, I was gutted. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but then what happens is, and this is the weirdest one, the, this executive producer rings my dad and goes, right, the first programme's going out tomorrow night. There's going to be an ad at the end of it. We've pressed 4,000 copies of an album. We don't think anyone's going to buy it, but, you know, it's a nice memento. We've sent one up for you and, and your wife and Aled and everything. My dad's like, okay, great. Same producer, following week, rings up going, um, do you want to sit down? Because, like, the album on pre-orders and sales is up to 275,000. And at the moment, he's going to be number two in the charts behind Bruce Springsteen and Born in the USA. <laughs> And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> and there you are in your Burton's jumper on yeah. top of the pops going, what? You this only, is mad. You'd only been speaking English for six years because you spoke only Welsh until the age of six. Yeah, yeah, I was around that, yeah. I was uh, I was taught all through school through Welsh. But isn't it, do you know what? So when when you... Imagine you'd, uh, uh, I was just saying we could do this in Welsh if you want. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be all okay. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'll do, won't it? Just for the record, microwave isn't pop de ping, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Every English person I know says it is, isn't it? No. no. <laughs> but the joke's definitely on them yeah. there. I just thought it was like, you know, when I was researching this interview, I just thought, wow, what if she hadn't written that letter? Yeah. But then look at the domino effect of all of the good things that happened because, I mean, apart from the poor lad losing his voice, mm -hmm. um, apart from that, everything else was. Your success was impacted by somebody going out of their way for you. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And it was. And also, the, do you know the most? The, the two people that went out of their way for me more than anyone was my mum and dad. And I didn't appreciate it at all when I was a kid. You don't, I suppose, do you? But 
you know, when I then got to the age that they were, when they had to give up their weekends to go everywhere with me around the world, you know, and my dad's such a shy person. He just wants to be in the garden or on his boats fishing, you know, and for him having to be in... It was lost on him. He, he hated it, I'm sure, yeah. you know. And when I got to 18, I think it was the happiest moment of his life when he said, you're going on your own. He got you know? a tour manager yeah, 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 exactly. Off you go, have a good time. Um, but, you know, they gave up right. so much. They gave up a lot, but also they had to manage so much oh. because with tremendous success yeah. comes tremendous responsibility. And it wasn't yours, it was theirs because they're yeah. the parents. Absolutely. And my, you know, my dad was, was, an was an engineer, he's retired now. My mum's a school teacher. And, you know, I think I was offered a pack of buttons, chocolate buttons for my first album or something. You know, so, you know, very early on, they got good people to look after me and yeah. stuff. And so I've been very lucky in that respect. Wow. I mean, it is, it is a domino thing, though. You're completely right. Yeah. And I think this is the season of goodwill. And we forget sometimes that actually, you know, we're, we're constantly asked to donate money, but actually sometimes to donate a thought yeah. and an act of kindness or help or yeah. help mm -hmm. to give somebody your time, your energy, your contacts, whatever it is, your network. Yeah. It can have such a far reaching effect on somebody's life. Absolutely. I mean, look Even at yours. a smile. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that was evident with, you know, the, the, the first sort of lockdown or everyone just was much kinder to one another. And I think we've kind of yeah. forgotten that now. We've a forgotten bit. it. Yeah. But and I think also there's a pressure with what's happening next, you know, and I know how much it impacts on people. Um, and, you know, it was hard for everyone. But I think, you know, everyone just seemed to be kinder to one another. And But then that happens at Christmas as well, doesn't it? Well, yes, but... I, I mean, really, I hope we can stitch it into our day-to-day -day fabric of life. Yeah. You know, that would be really nice, wouldn't yeah. it? But I think just to tell these stories and remind people that, you know, I mean, that lovely lady, yeah. that, that letter, that one letter mm -hmm. turned everything in your life upside yeah, down. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I very easily could have said no to doing the album as well. Yeah. But I loved singing. You know, I sang. I was a weird, weird kid. Um, that <laughs> I, used to, I used to find music in everything. And, you know, I've said this before, and it's kind of embarrassing. But, you know, if my mum was put running a bath for me or something like that, I would harmonise with the water because the water would have kind of a music in it. Really? And the hairdryer the same. I would be making songs that were, if someone was drying my hair, you know, you're now going... Yeah, that's really no. weird. <laughs> no, it's not, because that's how you hear the world, yeah. right? And, and music's Through always song. been there. But I, 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 I see could, that I with my I kids could. now. You know, my, my daughter's always singing around the house, always. And kind of I don't, I suppose, as much as I used to, because it became a job, didn't it? You know? Well, it is a job. And you perform, I mean, you do over 100 and something shows a year, don't you, still well, to this to. day? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not, I've got, I'm not singing properly now until next year. I've got a tour next year, which has been postponed three times. What about Christmas Songs of Praise? Don't you, don't you I, I sang put your hands on that up one. That? Yeah, I sang, I sang on that one. And I've got a few kind of uh, concerts, you know, corporate things between now and Christmas. Could, but I, that's it. Can really. I just say Christmas Songs of Praise is a bit like, like a massive telly gig like millions of people watch it but it's proper it's huge it's like yeah. shooting a concert and you have some really big star guests on there uh, and you know what i never ever take it for granted especially even now m more so that and it was in westminster abbey this year and it was oh. the first time we'd had a kind of a congregation again and stuff and and i thought you know wow i'm so lucky to be doing this and to be have done it for so long really as well over 20 years i know it's mad 
It really it, is. It, and I'd, I'd lie if I say I, I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> we all feel old. It's all right. We're allowed to. Yeah. We're wearing our lives well. Uh, but you know what? That was a positive of COVID as well. The fact that um, my 50th birthday came at a time during lockdown because I hate surprise parties, okay? Um, and so I couldn't have lots of guests for a party. <laughs> so I just had it with my family. It was brilliant. <laughs> and there we go. The 50th came and went. Done. And it was good. Because yeah. uh, I was the had the dubious honour. I sound like Terry Wogan saying that um, of being the last person ever to be got on "This Is Your Life," <laughs> and really? it was on stage in the Albert Hall doing a songs of praise. It was a miracle. I didn't swear. Okay, uh, <laughs> so Michael Aspel coming on with a red book. I was like, oh no! You were the last. This is your yeah, life. Yeah, and it's the it's an honour. Of course it is. And so Terry spoke and Bob Geldof and people like that. But it's also. For, the most horrible two hours because you don't know what's happening. Yeah. You don't know who's going to be there, who's going to say anything, you know, and so, yeah, it was uh, not I for me. I loved watching it, though. I absolutely loved watching it. They were it. great shows. But, uh, this is your life. Yeah. And and what a life you've had, Alid Jones. Um, when we go back to this, this lo wonderful lady and her letter writing, that act of kindness that transformed your life, can you think of a time when you've ever been able to even pay something like that forward? I try and do it all the time. You? Yeah, I try and do it all the time. If there's somebody that I think is, it, but let's just take it as singers now, somebody that I think is a good singer, then I'll always try and help them, um, always. And even if it's somebody who's supported me on tour or something like that, I will always look out for them. I feel that it's my duty, really, to, to help you? them. Yeah, because, because in this industry, it, it, you know, a lot of people say it's who you know, but it is kind of like that as well. Um, it's a very small industry. 100%. And so, you know, if I can help somebody... You can accelerate. Yeah, if I can introduce them to a record company or something like that, then then I'll do it always, you know. And oh, I've got no influence, really. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll try and help people that are maybe starting out on the journey. Like a mentor? Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, you wouldn't really want me as a mentor. Yes, you would. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's 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 a really tough industry, I think, for people starting out now. Um, music especially. You know, it what does about go the, like that. What about the classical side of it? Uh, because, I, I mean, I know that the commercial and popular music, and pop as they call it, popular music, um, has had its peaks and troughs, certainly with the change of, of landscape, with the digital world taking over. Has it impacted classical music oh, yeah, in the same massive. way? Oh, yeah, massive. I'm a dinosaur. In the, yeah, I'm a massive dinosaur because um, I would say that 90% of my record sales are physical sales. <laughs> so the actual CDs that people CDs. get in Amazon or in HMV or in, in, in shops, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm seen very much as a dinosaur. Um, it's all about streams and stuff like that now. And um, so in that respect, I can't really give up and coming singers, uh, you know, any advice. But it's but very tough. But you have made 40 albums, I know, Alice. that's a miracle. I should be about 80 <laughs> years old. Do you know, I once interviewed uh, Engelbert that's Humperdinck. That's almost one a year. It, it's, it is, isn't it? I did, what, 16 in four years. So, you know, that was that would never, ever happen now. But I interviewed uh, Engelbert Humperdinck once, and he won't mind me telling this story, but it's, it's brilliant. He was about to release his 87th album or something, okay? And he was really nervous that it wouldn't sell. And I was like, <laughs> you've done 87 albums, who cares? You know, wow. He was nervous it wouldn't yeah, sell. Yeah, it's brilliant. I thought it was so cute. And I thought, is that going to be me in like, like 10 years? And yeah, it's, you know, I think the industry now for classical musicians starting out is harder than it's ever been. Because there was a period where our, my sort of music was outselling pop. 
Yeah. Uh, and well, look, you were number two after Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. I know, that was mad. That was mad. I mean, literally, you should tell that story everywhere you go. <laughs> you should scatter that story like confetti. And I think there was one album I did as an ad ad adult called One Voice, where I duetted with my young boy voice. And, and that got to, I think, number three or four in the pop charts. And it was a head of Zane from One Direction or something. That, <laughs> and I was like, right, wow, that's not, never going to happen again. <laughs> It's bizarre. It is. It? it is. It's really weird. Wow. But, but you know that that industry now has changed a lot. I think um, uh, the classical side of things are more wary about um, releasing records. It's much harder now. I think. I think so. Yeah, I think so, for sure. And it must be so when you find somebody who's really talented and you want to help them. I'm glad to hear that you keep your ladder down and you help to oh, 100%. bring them through. And, and a lot of a lot of the people that have supported me on tour and stuff, they've always got my number. And um, and they, if they need any help, they just text and, and I'll give it to them. You know, as you said, you know, I've always had people that have helped me. Yeah, I mean, I've, I feel that I have a duty to yeah. do that because but it's nice there, as well. there's a handful of people that made my career my career mm. by being kind mm -hmm. and and actually there was nothing in it for them. No. They just thought, I like her. Mm. I'm going to help her out. So I, I absolutely feel duty-bound to repay that. 100%. And, and, and I really do believe it. It makes you feel good as well. It's almost the same thing as, you know, giving a present sometimes is better than receiving it. Oh, totally. Unless it's something really nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I mean, you know your daughter's really, like, balling it with Netflix. You could be in for some real treats under the tree this yeah, year. Yeah, right. We'll see. <laughs> To be honest with you, I just want a home, so that's lovely. Uh, ah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what we're all feeling this year, yeah. presence and it, it's, as opposed you know, to presence. Everything that, yeah, absolutely, that's good. <laughs> you can have that. that. Thanks, presence. I'll be hearing that. Than presence. And, and that'll be me helping you out with my act of kindness. You can First have that link for on Classic, Classic FM on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> it's listening. all about the presence, not the presence. Yeah, <laughs> lovely. I came up with that one myself. <laughs> really over-enunciate the T as well, yeah? yeah? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> My second question for you isn't actually from me. It's from Gary Barlow. Wow. Okay. He had no hesitation in when I said well, I said that you were coming on. He was like, "No, I've got a question for him. I've got a question for him." Uh oh. So, um, can we play in Gary Barlow's question for Alan, please? 
I wonder, you hear a lot of stories, especially from people like Charlotte and people who've been like young mm, stars. stars. Donny, I mean, you Donnie know, when he meant. taught him, he was six when he was playing at the Hilton oh. in Vegas. Oh my God. I mean, that's nuts. Like, whether he, he wished to do his teenage years again. Yeah, you but, know, yeah, I wonder. Question. Well, I shall ask him. Because back in those days, no one ever asked how anyone was, did they? No. As nowadays, it's like there was wow, no such thing as mental health. No. You were mentally ill, I wonder. and that was it. Because he's know? a very, he's so lovely, and and I just, yeah, I, I wonder if he feels like he's missed out on a childhood. I feel I need therapy now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no way. Do you know what? That, that's why my mum and dad were clever. At the time, they made me go to school to the local comprehensive Monday to Friday, and then Friday, Saturday and Sunday we'd be jetting off wherever, apart from one year with my O-level year where I missed half the year because we were everywhere. Um, so That, I, that I, makes me laugh because you literally would be like on top of the pops and then back in school. Back in school on Monday, yeah, keeping completely quiet about what I'd been on or what I'd been doing. So Monday to Friday I had a normal school existence. So I would, I'll tell you a story just how normal it was and how stupid I was, and this is my Homer Simpson Dope moment, okay? I was singing the Hollywood Bowl in LA and I had three concerts with the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra and two people came up to me after the first night and said, oh, we're from the um, Johnny Carson show in Hollywood. Johnny was in the audience tonight. He loves your music. So for anyone that doesn't know, Johnny Carson is American talk show. The biggest show in the world. The, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, like he was the original. Yeah. The OG. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He was the original. And and he's, they basically said, he wants to devote the whole show to you. You'd sing and he'll interview you and it'll be just the whole show. My mum and, and dad didn't know who Johnny Carson was. And so they looked at me as if to say, well, you know, how do you feel about that? It means you have to stay a week longer. And I went, oh, no, I've got a football match with the school and I really miss my girlfriend. No, it's OK. We'll go back home. <laughs> what a bloody idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's my, you know, where would I be now? Hollywood with loads of problems and loads Vegas of money. With, Vegas with Donny Osmond. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I literally blew out the best, biggest show in the world because David Hughes Comprehensive had a footy match. <laughs> But that's probably why you've survived this entire experience with your sanity intact. Yeah, maybe. And people speak, you know, like somebody like Gary, for example, you can hear the affection. Yeah, he's, and he, my goodness me, he's a lovely man as well. And, you know, I, I don't think I did miss out on anything. I think what happened was that I gained. So yeah. basically, you know, whereas all my mates were maybe just kicking a football around on weekends. I was so lucky, you know, I was going to these exciting places where I was the only kid, I suppose. And also, you know, when you've got a bowl haircut and you're wearing Burton's jumpers, people are really nice to you when you're 13, you know. <laughs> oh, but you were super lovely and polite as well. You, uh, you handled yourself so incredibly well. Like I was yeah. watching that documentary and there's all those clips of you in- So cringy. <laughs> it's not cringy, I promise you. As a mother, I sat there and just thought, your mum and dad must have been so proud of the way you carried yourself, Alice. Yeah, and, and it's all down to them. You know, um, I'm an only child, so um, I, I suppose that worked out best, really, because yeah. of what we were doing. You they know. could really devote yeah. themselves to Absolutely. your... Absolutely. Your but, epic journey. I mean, it, when people say journey, that yours literally was. You were at the airport every week going yeah. somewhere else. Yeah, or, or less glamorous, uh, uh, going down on the train from Bangor to... 
um, London, and my dad it keeps it real, okay? So there was no first class. It, it, was, it was all standard, yeah. And <laughs> honestly, I know so brilliantly how to get into a train or plane or exist on the street without anyone recognizing you. Okay, I'm sort of like, you know, head down. And, and the only thing that got me through those journeys, sometimes the train journey on a Sunday coming back would be six and a half hours on the train, okay? With every single person in the compartment just going, look, it's Alec Jones, <laughs> and just staring. And the only thing that got me through it was my Walkman and Les Mis. <laughs> and I listened to that so much constantly because I loved that musical. I know every part from Les Mis. If they, if they rang up now and said, oh, we need a Gavroche or we need a Jean Valjean or whatever, You're I could do it straight away. <laughs> and, and that's the only thing that got me through it, yeah. Wow. So your dad would never even upgrade even when you were on your 16th album? No. <laughs> no. Even when you'd been over to the States and performed yeah. on the biggest shows? No, no, it was all keep it real. You know, it was all about... But maybe of... there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Although if I had the option now. <laughs> yeah. But then what was it like being at school? Because, I mean, I, you, you said this in the documentary and you said it with a smile, but it can't have been easy at the time, that you were beaten up. Yeah, uh, not, not, not badly or anything like that. It was after it, Top of the Pops. Yeah, and but also like, every time I went on the Wogan show, people would tease me, and he loved that, of course. You know, he absolutely loved the fact that, you know, he I'd do his show, and then I'd go back, and people would be going Terry Wogan, you know. But after <laughs> you've heard people, you know, I've I've told you this before. They had the kids at school, the younger ones, had every break time they would sing. My name is Ali Jones. I like to pick my nose. I do. I like to pick my bum, especially with my thumb. Ow. Okay, when you've heard that 5,000 times, it's it not kind even of. Good. It's good. You're like, yeah, whatever. You know, so. And, but also, do you know what happened? I found out very quickly who my really good friends were yeah. at school. And they didn't care what I did. And, you know, I, was, I, I still meet up with them occasionally now. That's and, nice. And, you know, we're still the same. Yeah. Um, I hope, anyway. I mean, when you look at the the kind of places you were going to, from sort of singing in a cave in Israel doing Oh Holy Night, which for for I mean, like the idea Israel must have seemed otherworldly to oh, you was, at that point was, after a lifetime in Bangor speaking part English, part part Welsh. Absolutely, and also around that time in Israel, it was dangerous. Yeah, um, you know, I remember we were going to be singing or miming um, once in Royal David City. Um, in the place, you know, and the morning we were going there, a bomb went off. And so, you know, that was pretty frightening, um, that first program from Israel. I've been back many times since, and it's a beautiful country. But, yeah, that, that first one was just weird. But I suppose my mum and dad had never seen anything like it either. So they were making the most of it, and I was making the most of it. And so for four years, it didn't seem like, you know, it was, wasn't work it yeah. was just because like this was the most intense four years because it was oh, four, yeah. you, you were in a race against <laughs> your voice breaking yeah and in that time you so, so talk, talk to me about those Pope. tablets worked a trick <laughs> <laughs> don't be people googling looking for yeah. them you were at the you were the cut and thrust of it all you know you would go and perform for the pope then the queen princess of wales yeah that you know, was in a, a that private was a... recital tell me about those experiences that's surreal yeah. Surreal, really. And, and I, at the time, I didn't really take it in, I suppose. You know, I just remember in the Vatican, it was with Harry Seacombe, uh, <gasps> who I loved, you know, a goon and all that business, and, oh my uh, God, but yes. also a great singer. And I remember him and I, it was overnight we were filming there, and him and I had a competition as to who could 
sing the highest and the loudest and how long the reverb would last for in the Vatican. So we were belting out top G's. Just the two of you. <laughs> Just the two of us, yeah. And then we're going, one, two, three, four. Four seconds now. I can beat that. <laughs> Yeah. That's still quite something. Yeah, eh? and the, and the Prince Charles one was just uh, hilarious because he rang my dad at work. No. Yeah, and shut up. And my, my dad just put the phone down, and and <laughs> uh, and then the equerry rang and said, "Oh, uh, that was Prince Charles. He's here now. Will you uh, take the call?" And my dad's like in Anglesey Aluminium or whatever, going, uh, "Hello, yes." Um, and he said, uh, "I love your son's voice. Um, I'd love him to come down to Kensington Palace to sing for myself and and Diana um, Wednesday free." And my dad went, uh, tomorrow if you like. <laughs> and a couple of days later, my mum and my pianist from Wales, Annette, and myself found ourselves sitting in Kensington Palace in the living room, looking at photos of William and Harry as little babies. And and then in came Charles and um, came a mum of gin and tonic. And then Diana came in, she'd been swimming. And I sang for an hour. And then we talked for an hour. And I kicked the table like this. And a pint of water fell on the carpet and I thought oh my god they're going to send me to the tower and Diana was lovely she said oh the boys do it all the time don't worry rubbing it in Aww. yeah it was amazing what would you have been then 13 yeah 13 14 something like that yeah extraordinary yeah it was it was that was that was the time I was most nervous because we were going, just going to get a black cab there keeping it real and a friend of ours in London who's a big businessman surprised he didn't make you walk <laughs> yeah probably my dad would have if he'd come down he didn't come down because he had work isn't that great I remember Charles asking my mum going uh why is your husband not here and she went oh he had what he's got work <laughs> you know sorry you know it's like a normal <laughs> thing yeah. yeah and he was like nah he's got he's got work he's got stuff to do you know um he's at the aluminium yeah club. yeah exactly <laughs> I love it. um and, and I met this businessman said, oh, no, I'm going to take you there in style. And he had a Rolls Royce. And so we got into this Rolls Royce. And I couldn't open the door because I was so nervous because it was just so surreal. Yeah. You know, I'm used to dealing with concert halls and thousands of people. But this was just two people. And so yeah. it's really exposing. But they were lovely. And, and in the end, we did a What Would You Like to Hear? And so for Diana, I sang some Beatles songs and for Charles, did, uh, did some Handel. And yeah, it was lovely. They're like karaoke. It was just like Welsh karaoke. KP, KP karaoke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was great. It was just like that. <laughs> now, the other um, event that you performed at, again, which was an unlikely ask, I would imagine, was... Bob Geldof and Paulie Yates' wedding. Yeah. And the picture, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this up on the White One Question Time feed. You've got to see this picture of you in a So like just talk me through who's in this 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 photograph. There's there's obviously Bob and Paula. Then yeah, there's, then we've got some of the Boomtown rats, there's George Michael, there's some guys from Spandau Ballet, there's Midjour in a kilt, and then sitting on a throne is David Bowie, and I'm stood with my hands on David Bowie's uh, shoulders. You forgot Duran Duran. And Duran Duran. Sorry. <gasps> How could I forget Duran I mean, Duran? Literally. Because Simon is... Bond bon was best man. And he came up to me, right? I, I can't believe I'm telling you all this. I don't know what it was like when you were a kid, okay? Um, but in my school, we went through a period of wearing luminous socks. Yeah. And so you'd have one green luminous and sock. And one pink. And one orange yeah, yeah, yeah. or pink, right? Get down the Sunday market. I wore that for Bob and Paula's wedding. <laughs> what was I thinking? Everyone's in like huge uh, dinner jackets and stuff. And I remember Simon Le Bon coming up to me, Simon Le Bon coming up to me after the wedding and going, love your socks, man. <laughs> <laughs> and my mum kind of going, you know, I told him not to wear them. But what happened afterwards, the socks saved the day because Bob decided that he wanted to play baseball. 
after the wedding. Everyone's in their tuxes, okay? And so there was a side, I think it was kind of Billy Connolly's team maybe against Bob's or something like that. Yeah, Billy, Billy Connolly was there It well. was there, yeah. And, and so George Michael was on my team, I remember that, and Tony Hadley. And it was getting dusk, and so we couldn't see the ball. <laughs> And Bob went, well, there's nothing happening for another hour. We should just carry on playing. And he goes, There's nothing happening on my wedding day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing happening before the do tonight. And so he went, Al, get one of those socks off. And so I took off my luminous sock and wrapped it around the ball. And we carried on playing baseball so we could see. It's like so random. So random. Wow. Yeah. They were so lovely to me. I mean, they that really must were. have been like walking into... Um the cover of Smash Hits magazine for a 13-year-old boy. As much as you're, you're, you're singing classical music and you're a, a soprano, you were still alive to pop music, right? You knew who oh they my. were. Oh, I, I, that's all I listened to. And I was the kid who went around with his autograph book. Even Bob Geldas. I followed Spandau Ballet around like... At the wedding? At the wedding. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I've, to I've, I've actually spoken to Tony about this, okay? And, and in the end, they were like... Can you just like go away now? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I Take love you guys, love one. you guys, you know, oh, <laughs> like singing their hits, you know, gold. And so they're like, oh my God. Um, so yeah, I, but I remember every time I'd go to a rock and pop award, for instance, which were now the Brits, I'd be the only classical person there. And invariably, it would either be me, Pavarotti, or Julian Lloyd Webber that would win. Because that's it. That's there was it. no one else kind of doing that, a, that popular C. thing. Yeah. And, <laughs> And I think back and I think, my mum, bless her heart, would come with me, or my dad. And, you know, one year my mum was sitting, sitting next to Roger Daltrey and Boy George and Phil Collins. And she's a primary school teacher from Llandegvan in North Wales, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's a, not a different world, a different galaxy. Yeah. And, but I would go around with my autograph book. And I remember the year that I... Walking in the Air came out because the Pet Shop Boys beat me to number one as well. And I'd, I got the autograph from them and they were lovely to me. And then on the train, I'd go through the autograph, seeing what they'd written. <laughs> and the old tenant had written, ha, 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 you didn't get number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Wow. I mean, Alid, what a life. Yeah, I've been really lucky. And, and you know what? People like Bob and Paula and, and Diana even as well and Charles... Uh, were just so kind and so lovely. You know, um, Bob went out of his way to make sure that me and my mum and dad were comfortable and happy. And, and yeah, it was amazing. And his daughter at the time, she won't thank me for this, um, but she was just really young and she was running after me constantly going, sing walking in the air, sing walking in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and I was doing the same to Spanda Ballet. <laughs> Do you still sing it now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Howard Blake, who wrote it, um, wrote a version where I can sing with my boy voice. So I do that quite a bit. <sighs> and there was a time when, you know, God, I not hated it, but I got embarrassed by it. Yeah. Um, whereas now I'm old, so it doesn't matter. Just own it and yeah, love it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and again... It you know, is your badge of honour. And, and I'm lucky, you know, that it's played every Christmas. So, Without you know, it's... Yeah. And also, you know, it wasn't actually you singing in the no, film. I know, it's <laughs> Everyone amazing. Everyone forgets that. And, and honestly, I sang it for a Toys R Us advert. And I remember, Is that right? yeah, they were launching <laughs> Toys R Us in the UK and they had a boy flying around the store and they wanted to use Walking in the Air. Well, the guy who originally did it, Peter Orty, who's an amazing singer now, he's an opera singer, um, he, his voice was broken. And so by then I'd released, I think, 12 albums. And so, you know, I was the, the boy on the block, if you like. And 
I went to the studio, uh, and it's a studio that I do voiceovers in now for Songs of Praise called Sound Company. It was called Ad Vision back then. And I'd only learned 30 seconds for the ad. And so I went into Ad Vision, and the orchestra <laughs> just finished, and they'd happened to record the whole thing. And John Altman, who was the producer, said, well, we've done the session in quarter of an hour. We've got another three, three hours and three quarters left. Let's record the song. And I went, I don't know. I haven't learned it. And so he and I learned it on the piano, and I recorded it. Thank God. Oh, my God. Because there was a period in my life when I wasn't really doing anything. And, you know, the royalties from kept walking in the air kept me, yeah. You know, I used to, you know, the transition from boy soprano to, you know, adults isn't overnight. And so... Uh, no. And so that would keep me sort of in, in the public eye, I suppose. And at this time of year, when, you know, it's everywhere... Um, and obviously you feel a sense of pride now, I'm sure, when yeah. you hear it. But do you find that there's like the same bunch of characters on the circuit so that you're always running into, like I don't know, Noddy and Roy Wood, and you all sit there and talk about your Christmas royalties? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. There's our sky high. Um, and do you know what the funny thing is? That um, I know now when it's coming on because I know from the tracks before it where it'll be. I'm always sandwiched for some reason in between Mistletoe and Wine, Cliff Richard and uh, Noddy. <laughs> and so I, I know if I'm in Southbridges or somewhere like that, yeah, that I'll go, ah, I know it's coming now. So, <laughs> and in the old days, that would have been me out the store. Really? Yeah, but not now. It's, it's fine. And when the kids were little, it was, there was one occasion where we were in home base of all places. And my son, the little, um, it came on and he was like, that's you, that's you. <laughs> you know, and I'm like dragging him out of the shop. Just now. <laughs> yeah. and, I did, and I did something unforgivable. Um, this is like a confession, isn't it? Um, when my kids, I think it was my daughter. Was it my daughter or my son? My daughter, I think, was very, very young. Her favorite cuddly toy was a snowman, but it was quite big. And we were going on holiday um, in between Christmas and January, and she wanted to take the soft the toy on the plane, and I couldn't face it, so I hid it. <laughs> <laughs> it just looked too bad when you got on the plane with a massive snowman. I, can you imagine everyone going, "Oh, he's forced it on his kids." Oh my as god! Well. All right, yeah, it's <laughs> you. We get we, it. We've had it. So, so I was like, I hid it, and I said, I "Can't find it." I'm and, so sorry. You know, Have this one instead. You know, this uh, something else. <laughs> bad parent. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, my final question to you is born out of the fact that when I was when I was revisiting your story, I felt almost a sense of panic for you because from so you hit the big time, you're selling records, and then almost within sort of under a year, people are going, "What you can do when your voice breaks?" Yeah. And they put such ink, and it was every everywhere you went, every everyone interview. asked mm. every, and you you handled it so beautifully, Alan. You would go, "Well, you know." There's not a lot you can do about it, is no, there? And there isn't. You know, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and, you know, I'm prepared for it. But you would, and you always did it with a smile, you always did it like it was the first time you'd ever answered it. But it must have put extraordinary pressure on very young shoulders. Yeah, and now when I look back at it, I suppose it must have, but I didn't feel it at the time. Did you not? I, I, and that's weird, isn't it? Because I remember the, the most pressure I probably felt was when I decided to retire. And, you know, some publicist somewhere had said, on a high note, you know, and the, and the press release went so he can concentrate on his O-levels or whatever. Um, and, exactly. I was, and I was stuck in the BBC in Bangor doing interviews one after another. And we're talking big ones, you know, 
Breakfast Time, ITV, Japan, America, everywhere. And I was there for like a day, I think. And I just thought to myself, oh, God, I've had enough of this. You know what I mean? Um, that was the first time I think I felt kind of pressured. But, you know, I think back now and I and sometimes now I feel pressure because I had nothing else to fall back on. And yet I didn't worry. You know, I I just yeah. don't you wish you could be more like that now. Oh right? my god, I do like mad, and I just kind of got on with it. But that's it. So basically, people were sort of you were living this extraordinary life. You know, you're using your luminous day glow socks to double up as a basket as a baseball at Bob Geldof's wedding, having just been round to Kensington Palace yeah. to perform Beatles' request for Princess Diana. Right. So let's get some context. But all the while this is happening. Everyone's saying to you, it's not going to last, you know. Yeah. You know What, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when your voice goes? And and you knew it was coming. And then it's a, and then it's a waiting game, right, between it breaking. Yeah. And you you went to the Royal Academy of Music. Again, though, something happened in that gap that helped with the transition. Again, it's like, you know, these things happen. Japan got to hear my voice for the first time, basically just as it was breaking. And it went mad in Japan. I sold two million records in a year uh, in Japan. And, but I couldn't just, sing. Just as your voice was breaking. Yeah, but I couldn't sing, could I? So someone in a record company in Japan had the mad idea that I would go over, I would publicize these albums that they were releasing every other month. and Or 16 of them. Yeah, and <laughs> I would narrate Hansel and Gretel in Japanese whilst the Vienna Boys Choir enacted it on stage. And so me being stupid went, yeah, great. So down went the spiky hair, which I'd had as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old <laughs> yeah. now, thinking I'm cool like with my highlights. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know that, that was actually done for me by Princess Diana's hairdresser, Richard no. Dalton. We had the same hairdresser. Me, Princess Diana, and Anne Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at us that time, we all had the same hair. <laughs> Uh, he went to Kensington Palace to do The Princess. I'd go over his sink. He was a friend of my great uncle's. And, but anyway, yeah, so Japan got to hear of me. And off I went, going, Bokwa, Aledo Jones des, Kiawa, Wino Morino, Concetano. And, and I'd launch into uh, Ansel and Gretel, which I learned. In Japanese. Yeah, in Japanese. Again, it should have driven me over the edge, even thinking about it. And I'd go on stage in front of two and a half thousand people and do this. Oh, you wouldn't just record it, you'd do it live? Live. My mum and dad backstage thinking, what is... It? It's, where were you, Tokyo? All over. Tokyo, you Yokohama, yeah, um, Kyoto, everywhere. And you're what, like... I was 16 and 17, we went twice, yeah. But it was like, I didn't expect what would happen in Japan because over here, Terry Wogan always said that my fans were grannies. Okay, he said it on air. In Japan, when we got off the plane, there were like 500 teenage girls waiting for me. My dad was having his hair pulled and they were, because, <laughs> you know, both my dad and I were very, very blonde and yeah, they, they went mad for it, really. Wow, so you had this kind of second coming in Japan. Yeah, but I wasn't singing. So basically that bridged the gap, you see. Because I thought you'd just gone and studied and... Uh, no, from, from the age of then 16 to 18, Japan kind of bridged that gap. Wow. And then I went to college because I, I, I was adamant that if I did come back and do something, I, even if the critics say I was rubbish, which they have many, many times, um, at least then I was qualified rubbish. So I did three years at the Royal Academy of Music, way too young, um, basically spent my whole time in the bar or playing football, um, but still doing my lessons and stuff. And then I went to Bristol Orvic Theatre School, which was probably the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. And then a, a career in musical theatre. And then and Joseph meeting Angie, and yeah. then off we go. Wow. But I just think, you know, when I look back, I, I felt quite panicked for you as a parent 
but with this kind of incessant pecking of people's questions sort of telling you, you're having the most extraordinary life, but it's about to end, it's about to end, yeah. and then what, and then what, and then what? But it's and funny, isn't it? We didn't care. And, and I think mum and, mum and dad always made the best of everything when we were doing it. So for us, it was just dead exciting. You know, even if the questions were, you know, will there be blood when your voice breaks? You know, and because I, <laughs> I think people wanted to me to be, I've said this as a kid, I think people wanted me to be on stage in the Albert Hall and for my head to start toppling off and blood, blood spouting. Every... And they go, the voice has gone, you know, and it, nothing like that happened. Alice's went... voice has left the building. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good night. Uh, boom. Uh, but but it, it gradually went wow. and there was no moment. I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't have that moment where my yeah. friends had. Um, it just gradually um, broke and that was it. You know, and then I started singing again. But did that teach you something by way of a life lesson that's that's been valuable down the line? That ability to wait, to sit with the unknown, yeah. to be okay with that? Yeah, I think so. I, I honestly do believe that. And also, I'm a firm believer in making the best out of uh, the, where you are mm. and trying to have the best time. If you're, you know, if you're delayed at an airport, try and have a good time, you know, try and do something that's fun yeah. or, and I've always been that. Maybe that's still the child in me because a lot of people I work with and you know this as well, is like I am quite, still quite childish in my thing. I think yes. that's quite, you know, I like a rude joke, uh, definitely, you know, and I like, uh, and I like having fun, you know, and I think you're given one life. Yeah, and you've really lived yours. I hope so, you know, and I've been, but all along the, the line, I've been very, very lucky in, you know, I suppose being in the right place at the right time and, and sort of making the most of it, really. Well, I, I, I hope that you look back and realise what an incredible achievement your life has and not, not just one achievement, this is the sequence of them. It's, it really is quite something. And for you to be able to emerge from 30-odd years in show business, oh, 30-odd yeah. years, with people speaking so highly of you. But I still get excited. You know, you, you, when you mentioned Gary, when he rang me up, I was back in having the same feeling as I was when Prince Charles rang my dad. You know, yeah. it's life. I love it when life does that. You know, no one would put me and Gary Barlow together. He's an international superstar, you know, pop star. And, you know, I sing classical music, you know, and um, and some say badly. <laughs> and so, you know, no. for, for me and Gary to get into the studio together and sing a song and for me to be able to get Gary to sing in Welsh, you know, um, was amazing. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy it, you know, and it's it's something new, isn't it? And even, and even now, you know, at the last trip I did to Australia, I went for a month and... I took my boy, Luke's, with me, and he was much younger then. And, and it's funny, you say about doing something for other people. I was in the Sydney Opera House, and an old lady came up to me in the signing afterwards. She was from Wales originally, and she must have been about 80. And she said, I've traveled six hours to come to this concert. God, I'm always crying telling the story. And um, I said, oh, that's terrible. Wow. You know, she said, why do you only just come to Sydney Brisbane and Melbourne and I said I don't know because the promoter that's what they do and she said you should come to the regions why don't you come to us next time and that remained with me for years mm. and years and I said one time let's do a regional tour of Australia and they were like are you nuts it's like in a van it'll be six hours every day Thank going to, and I said you know what I'll bring Lucas let's do a month and we did oh you did it and we did it it was amazing it was amazing like we saw places that I'd never see again, you know, yeah. and and just the adventure, you know, in the middle of the night in a van dodging kangaroos, yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, we had. You know, you can play vineyards, you can tour vineyards in Australia. See, that's, that's what I'd like to do. 
There you go. Yeah. I'm just I have to that sing. Over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now that's a tour. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. If anyone's looking, I'm available for that tour forever. <laughs> uh, I love my wine, so uh, as you know. But you know, yeah, that was just such a great experience, um, and being able to do it with Lucas as well. It's something that we'll always have together because otherwise, I just go and do these things and come yeah. back. Exactly. And you're turning. You're, you're putting the the fire back in the belly of the experience, aren't yeah. you? Although my, my son at, at that age would go into all the, because it was a cathedral or big church tour in Australia, and he'd walk in kind of going, is there Wi-Fi? Is there Wi-Fi? <laughs> <laughs> and I've actually got a picture of him going, please Pray let there wifi. be Wi-Fi. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't take anyone with me, and it was the first time I'd done it, and it was so liberating that I didn't have any musicians. I didn't have, I did an hour, hour and a half without an interval, just all to backing track. Wow. And so I just took one sound man and me and Lucas and one person who was the tour manager and we all went across Australia. It was brilliant. What an adventure. Yeah. What a life you've lived. And, you know, so many stories for you to plunder for Bobby Dean Saves Christmas <laughs> and the yeah. books that follow because... This this book that um, I'm, I'm going to really recommend it. I did read it, and thank you. You are giving um, Rallium's cause oh. for a sleepless night or two. Um, this this is grown up stuff for kind of I'd say boys and girls of eight eight plus. Yeah, it's a, you, it can be your first novel that you'd read as a yeah. kid, or it's a novel that mum and dad can read yeah. as well. It's been beautifully illustrated by a lady called Rosie Brooks, who's become my mate now through it, and she's fantastic and she's so energetic and enthusiastic about it. But this is the first of three, so because yeah. he's been homeschooled uh, up until the age of nine, and then he goes to school for the first time because he wants to. There's a reason why he's been homeschooled and that comes evident in book three. So I wanted the books to take him through the first year of school. So it's the Christmas term, Easter term and summer term. Yeah. And I've nearly finished the second book and I'm a bit late with it. Oh, yay. It's horrible, that pressure. Yeah. Worse than waiting for your voice to break. Oh, much worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was easy. (laughs) Because I knew that, you know, it had to break. Although the operation was threatened on me once in uh, a massive studio in Wembley. I don't know if many people know this, but you know Santa Claus the movie? Um, I sing the theme tune to that, but I don't sound like me. I sound like a little girl. And that's because in the studio, it was either Henry Mancini or Leonard Slatkin, the conductor, or I think it might mean Henry, who'd written the tune. I sang, every Christmas Eve we are part of a miracle, like a really nice choir boy. And he said, oh, that sounds amazing, but I want it to be more childlike. And he kept making me more and more childish. And when you hear the theme tune now, it's like, uh, every Christmas Eve. And that's me. (laughs) So anyway, I'm recording this song the first time. And I hear this American voice saying, get the knife. I'll do the bloody operation myself. (laughs) And I remember looking to my mum as a nervous 13-year-old going, no, (laughs) no. So, yeah, I, I knew the voice would break. Otherwise, I would have to have a very, very uh, nasty operation. And as day turns to night and night turns to day, book two will be handed in at some point and yes. book three will yep. begin. Yep. And congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's wonderful to see you prosper at a time of year when we wish everybody a prosperous... Yeah, absolutely. ...and, and good, good time. Yeah, and, and it's all about the presence, not the... The presence. There you go. Absolutely. You heard it here first. Judy Dench is right. You really are a very lovely and good man. Thank you for your time. You're lovely too, pal. Thank you so much, as always, for lending us your ears. This episode of White Wine Question Time uh, was produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Richard Hatherall and the Yahoo Studios team. As always, our beats are provided by Andy Bell, and we will be back next week with more fine chat. Until then, look after yourselves and enjoy the run-up to Christmas. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 